Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Each week, we sit down to watch an episode of Battlestar Galactica. Now, I've seen them all, but my good pal Matt has only seen up to the one we are covering. And on this week's episode, we bring you Season 4, Episode 19, Daybreak Part 1. No one should feel obligated to join this mission in any way. This is a decision I have made for myself. If it turns out that there are not enough personnel to crew Galactica, I will lead a Raptor assault with anyone who is willing to join me. Oh, boy, it's time for us to take our final plunge, Matthew, our final push, our final push up the hill, our final plunge off the cliff, our final flight, our final whatever you want to call it, pal. Here we go. <laughs> Back into misery galacta grief. Yes. Oh, fuck. It's a great show. Um, it's been picked show. up for another season, misery galacta grief. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing but space funerals and uh, bagpipes as coffins are shot into suns. Who is your favorite character? Is it Commander Saddama? <laughs> oh, God. Yes. That, nothing is sweeter than the low-hanging yeah, it, is it? <laughs> Or is it Cryus Baltar? <laughs> Jesus. Well, that one actually kind of impresses me. Not, not, not bad. Not bad, right? I mean, we could keep doing or, this if I, you want. Personally, I lean towards Squee Adama. Yeah, I like Squee Adama. What do you think about Colonel Psy? <laughs> <laughs> he's a little listless for my taste. Yeah, I'm he's. Not he is. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I like Kara Grimace. I like it. And I like it. It's a stretch. It's I, a stretch. I like it. I like Ooh, it. I'm not warm enough for that stretch, actually. <laughs> Damn, why do you guys listen to us? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiots. Oh, this is a good episode, man. Yeah. We're in it. This is the final. We are in it. The final three. Dude, we're here. God, it is it is so weird. Like it, I'm not gonna lie. If it doesn't seem like the gravity of it is all here, it's because it hasn't hit me yet. I'm like, damn, it it still doesn't feel like the show is ending. Um, especially because the end of this episode is such a ramp up. Right. It is such a it is such a call to action that I'll, I keep forgetting that I'm like, oh, there's two more after this, and that's it. Fuck, it's crazy. Right. It's interesting. You know, I I do like this episode. And things happen, but it does feel like we are in a holding pattern. Like you, it, it, it to, to 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 compare it, it's like those moments in Band of Brothers where they're getting ready to drop into occupied France on D Day, and they're like, "Not today, it's too foggy." Ah, oh, fuck! Like they're just waiting, <laughs> you know. And it's compelling right, right. in its own way, but it's also like, "Let's go, let's go," <laughs> right? Let's do it. Let's kill some Nazis. But no, it's, uh, yeah, it does have that quality to it. It's, you know, I I actually do like us getting some flashbacks. It was interesting to go back to Caprica and see, you know, Gaius being Gaius with his very fake sideburns. I don't know what those were Mm -hmm. about. (laughs) Maybe they they don't look like they used to look on the old show where they were growing off his face. Those were hair sideburns, you know, like women get. Some wispies, wispies, yeah, they're wispies from the regular cut, 
but not like grown off the face, so to speak. <laughs> Just a little bit of baby oil to kind of tamp them down against the side of your face. Yeah, he needed. They had a kind of a a nineteen sixties original series quality to them, where, like where they they hook a little bit, a little, a little hair hooks. <laughs> yes, right. a little bit of like pointiness versus like the pointiness. Dylan versus like the Dylan from nine two one zero, like on the face sideburn. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But here we are. He's wearing all white again. Ah, oh, look at him go. Ah, he's so innocent, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's my favorite part so about So pure, it. so he's rich. In the, in the temptress in black. Ah, oh, it's so good. God damn. Boy, that looks like a terribly uh, unfun ride, huh? To be in a limo with a fully stocked whiskey bar and six by your side. Just stroking your inner thigh. Ah, what a shit life. Stroking your really thin pants that are going to be really hard to uh, <laughs> conceal any intent, as it were. But here we go. Here we go. We're here, and uh, we're having a nice little limo ride. Indeed. I totally forgot 1,000% about Gaius's dad. Dude, did not see this coming. This was a uh, this was an interesting shock for me what do you think Um, of this whole thing with the dad i mean i'm kind of of two minds about it because i'm like it's interesting to see gaius suffering a very personal pain that is not about his survival that is not about his bodily security or being exposed or his reputation being damaged which is a lot of times i think a bigger part of what gaius worries about is is the way he is seen like this is this is genuinely personal. It's his father, uh, and it's his father both ruining his current life, you know, disrupting things, and also being a burden on him in, being a, in a way that— a prick, too. That? He's being a total prick, too. Oh, absolutely a prick. Uh, but also, wh- what I found really interesting— What the fuck, man? What a day. <laughs> to get that, what, imagine getting that call, like your father stabbed his caretaker. What? <laughs> I'm trying to plow six in a bar— that's in this limo stocked with whiskey. Why are you calling me? Why are you ruining my perfectly good day? Yeah. But no, what I what I did find really interesting about it is how much his, I think what really sticks uh, uh, Baltar deep about the relationship he has with his father, obviously here, is how little his father respects him or what he's done. Right. Like his father makes a mockery of yeah. all of it. Yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. like, I don't give a fuck about who you are right he's like oh he makes fun of his family oh he's just a wispy rich boy basically what he's calling him out as yeah right because we all we've heard about we've never really heard anything directly about his father all we've heard about baltar's past is that he did come from humble beginnings that he did live on a farm and he, he did, did have a different accent. accent yep yep yeah which he did he did um you know it's funny Although his father still sounds fucking british but all right I think his father's supposed to have a more of an Irish flavor to him, and I guess that's what what we're just going with. <laughs> Even in the future, an Irish ac- accent just signifies being poor, exactly working class, fucking stoneheads, <laughs> fucking English, <laughs> fucking English. Yeah, hey, dirty Irish. English. What are you doing? Terrorist Canada in the streets of Belfast. But no, it's um. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question and answer this as well as you can as you always do. So if a week ago I said to you, Matt, let me give you a scenario and I want you to tell me what you think Gaius does. And it's going to be a multiple choice, one or two questions, or two, two, two answers to one question. And I said, Gaius is in the back of a limousine driving with Caprica 6. They both have been drinking whiskey and she just starts putting the moves on him. 
It's mm-hmm. happening in this fucking car. Put up the privacy yeah. shield. Let's go. But he gets a call saying his father is misbehaving and may have assaulted his caretaker. Does Gaius immediately go there or stay in fuck six? Like, honestly, what do you think you would have said? Ooh. I mean, I'll admit, I probably would have been like, ah, he fucks six and then goes after. That's what I would have That's what I would And probably lies and says, I'm on my way now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was an interesting character moment. Now, remember, this is before the fall of Caprica. This is before the Cylon attack. He's obviously changed a lot since then, no doubt. <clears throat> and at first, I I was like, whoa, he's like whacking the old man with a paper. But then I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, this guy's messed up. Obviously, you can see it on Gaius' face in his eyes that he's sad about his father's situation. He's frustrated. Um, he sends Six away because he has to stay there with his father. And yeah, that's that's tough, man. It's a tough scenario. Right. And you know, why are they showing us this? Why are they showing us this? See, now that's what I can't quite figure Mm. out. Um, That, because what it shows up for me, I'm like, okay, this shows, this for me is the real first time we're seeing personal pain from Gaius, where it's like, this is a very deep personal emotional pain for him that he's not handling very well. Um, And for me, what I found the most interesting about it to kind of jump ahead in the episode a little bit is when six is just in Gaius's home and he, he comes home with another woman like, Oh, what the fuck are you doing? He literally tells her to go upstairs and wait to be plowed in front of six. (laughs) Warm your loins. Be prepared. (laughs) There's various Um, toys in the top drawer of the shelf to the left of the bed. (laughs) There's lube in a warmer by the candle warmer. Don't confuse. There's warm towels, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's warm towels in a basket near the bed. Oh my God. <laughs> there's a pamphlet on my procedures of lovemaking. <laughs> oh shit. Jesus. But no, like what I found really interesting about this is we get this, you know, there's only like two, three scenes of Gaius in the past on Caprica where, you know, he's with you know, Caprica six in the car yep. and they have to go home to his father. She comes in after he told her not to. And he's extremely bothered by that because he's, that's way more vulnerable than he ever wanted to appear to this hot, sexy woman. Hey, he probably just wanted to plow and forget about. Uh, and she comes in and sees what his life is like. And he's like, don't fucking look at this. I didn't want you to know this. Now, please get out of here. What I find very interesting is that really the only other scene we get of Gaius in the past is six showing up in his house while you know, he comes in with another woman. And very, I mean, like, let's, let's step out of the show for a second and imagine this is happening to one of us. You... You're living with your elderly father and he's, you know, probably somewhat mentally ill or in in the throes of dementia. And this is the last, you know, last couple of years of his life and it's a difficult time and you're paying for it. I don't think his father lives at at Gaius' home though. What's that? I don't think Gaius lives with his dad, does he? Uh, I think so. I think he's living in his house. Okay. Like he's living in Gaius' house. Yeah, I think so. That probably Um, makes sense. Yeah. Well, because six is the one who says, "I." When he comes in there, he's like, "I put him up at the Regents." Oh, this, okay, got it. Good job. Yeah, yep. this care home where where he's being taken care of, and he gets to garden, and he was a farmer, so that makes him really happy. Like she takes care of the whole situation. But to step out of the show, it's like that is some psycho shit. <laughs> a, a woman you were met, you met and made out with a little bit in the car because when they're in the car, he even says, I, "I actually forgot your name," and then she starts kissing him. Right. So this is like among maybe the first day that they've met each other, so and then she shows up in his house. Sure, yeah, yeah, and it's like. 
that's some scary psycho shit that you stepped into my life. You've been, I have known you as an acquaintance for probably like 15 hours. And now you've had my father placed at a facility without my knowledge. And you're just telling me about it. Like that is terrifying. You're a crazy person. But in this moment, I like that. It says a lot that that's the only other scene we see of Gaius and six in the past. And then that's it. And we cut back pretty much to the present. We don't see anything about him in the past. And what that says to me is that that's when Gaius fell in love with Six, that she handled a personal pain, a personal emotional trauma of like how to deal with his father better than he could. Um, it, it, I think that, re, you know, what I find interesting about that is that in the miniseries, we never see how they met. They already knew each other and they were already just kind of in the throes of him just being horny for her. He wasn't even in love with her. He was just horny for her. Duh. And later on, he kind of starts to admit that, yeah, I actually had feelings for you. But what we see here, I think is, it kind of throws you because you're like, this doesn't look like a moment of people falling in love. This looks like him being really bizarrely taken aback by this woman who would do such a weird thing. And, and it's an uncomfortable thing and it's an inappropriate thing really. But I think what it's really showing is that that's why he kind of falls into her sway, that she stepped into his life and took control of an aspect of it that he was always afraid to take control of. And he won't admit that, but that's, I mean, in all, like, if this happened to me, if I'm in a guy's situation and a woman who I'd made out with once shows up and does this, takes my fucking parent away, <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm calling the cops. Like, this is, we're done. Like, you're you're an insane person. I'm gonna get my dad out of there. Like, wh- what are you talking about? But Gaius kind of falls into it. Like, we don't see anything else after this because we know what happens after this. He stays with her. Uh, and they're with each other through the end of the fall of Caprica. He cheats on so her. So that's a but, but, oh, for sure, actually, yeah. But <laughs> that's, that goes but without saying. But he doesn't cut her off, which is which is telling, right? You know, I never even thought that that was what was going on here. I think that's an, a very unique read on it, and I like it. I was wondering too, like what what do you suppose Six's ang- angle is here? If if we're to believe what you're vulnerability, saying, yes. I think it is her targeting vulnerability. Yep, I think so too. I think if we're to believe what you're saying, which is they haven't known each other long enough for where this doesn't make him completely freak out. Um, targeting vulnerability, and maybe maybe if I take a shot at Gaius, <laughs> maybe hmm. maybe she's gambling on the fact that he wants this guy out of his hair. Ooh, yeah. Vulnerability slash, you know, it, it's funny it. We do see something personal and painful to Gaius. And you know me, I'm a Gaius defender, but I also do know that this type of burden is annoying. And Gaius oh, doesn't yeah. want to be burdened with this bullshit. Just like well, most people wouldn't want to be burdened by it, even if they wouldn't admit it. Again, we get to another place with this Gaius character where he's where he's he's outwardly upset by it, obviously. I think there was a part of him that really cared for this man at one point, but now I think he's just like, this is too much. I can't deal with this guy. He sucks. He's, he's terrible. He's mean. He, first of all, you don't stab people, okay? So like <laughs> all of this bullshit. That is, I do think that might be one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not thou stab. Thou shalt not stab until dead. Um, but no, you know, I think, I think it's twofold. I think there's emotion in it for real, real sense of loss and grief. And then there's just like the annoyance and the burden of having to deal with the guy. <clears throat> and I think- she played it in a way store. She's going to capitalize on both of these things, but it is a gamble on her part to just assume he wouldn't react as you suggested. You may react, right? Because this means she hasn't gotten what she wants from the defense mainframe. And maybe 
by having him all to herself, that's the other part of her angle, you know, is we need him to be distraction free. We need him to be focused so I can get the stuff I need to get out of him. So my salons can fucking destroy the 12 colonies. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I do think that's a big part of it. And I think her entering the house after he had told her to stay in the car and, and coming in to look was genuinely her in a little bit of a terminatory act of I'm scanning for vulnerability. What's going on in your life? What do you, what do you, what has pulled you away from me? Um, and he might and, interpret and, it as her being bold and not caring and no, you have nothing to be ashamed of kind of behavior. Right. 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 I mean, I do. I mean, I'll admit, I, I think this is, this is an example of kind of like, if you want to boil it down to stereotypes, like the womanizing guy being kind of taken aback and put on his back foot by the pretty forward, aggressive woman being like, well, I'm going to assert myself in this situation. And him actually being like, that makes me uncomfortable, but also I'm very intrigued by it because most women don't do this with me. Because she's a force um, to be reckoned with, as we've absolute. said a million times. She, She'll stick her stiletto heel through your fucking jugular. She, people will get in boats and go a thousand miles in fucking murder. Millions of dude, they will murder people for this woman. That's the kind of effect she has on people. Like this is the fucking woman that launched a thousand ships right here. Helena Troy, go fuck yourself. (laughs) And that's, and you're right. And she's asserting herself without being overly intimidating because she can be very intimidating. I mean, she's intimidating in general, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, she's just very formidable. If you want to, I mean, I actually really like the way even that scene was shot when he, when he becomes in with a different woman and six is just sitting in his place. Yep. That's like, I love how she is sitting there and not looking at him. Unbothered. Like she doesn't exactly so unconcerned with him. And like what it's a, it's a great little moment of contrast when he has the the woman he brought in where he like silences her and puts his finger to her mouth (laughs) and he's literally like, go up and prepared for my fucking like go away. And this dingus likes that domination. You know, she's got the fucking, (laughs) she got the fuck shoes on. Got the fuck shoes. She knows what's up. Ready to go. Can't blame her. It's a good time. Absolutely. She's keeping the shoes on and uh, he's like, Grabs a little necklace, you know, giving her a little domination. Go up and wait for me. Don't forget the happy. Don't forget the. Don't forget the pamphlet. Meanwhile, (laughs) you know, but six is sitting there undeterred. Like which is this looks like the same woman he's in bed with in the miniseries. Is it? It looks. It might be. Man, it looks like her. I, I can't say it is. Yeah, that's funny. Shit, I don't know. But no, I I love that that I that. The dynamic here where he has one woman who he just kind of like basically commands like, go get ready for my penis. And like, that's it. (laughs) And six is like, I have taken a hold of your father's life and handled that for you, whether you liked it or not. Like that's some psycho level assertion. But also in this moment with with Gaius, I think he is so unprepared for that, especially coming from a woman, especially coming from her. This woman he barely knows that it it kind of pulls him into her her sway. Um, and I find that really interesting how they did not fall in love in some romantic way, but in almost a, a threatening yet intriguing way for him. But it's like something so new. Yeah, that's a great point. It's funny. Cool. I, I, I'm scrubbing through the miniseries. Oh. And. What's up with the glowing spine? We they, haven't they, seen a they, glowing they just spine since away the miniseries. From it. Yeah. They, they just gave up on that. Yeah. I think they knew that that was one of those like, hey, this this is kind of not going to work. 
Yeah, if their spines glow when you fuck them. Well, now you have the you've set up the the most problematic Cylon detector I can probably think of. <laughs> um, I'm at the scene where she's in bed, and no, it's a different woman, different actress. Oh, okay, yeah, different actress. Um, Monica Delane plays quote blonde woman, but she's totally a brunette. That's stupid. <laughs> and this one's woman's name is Simone Bailey. Her name is Shona. Much more attractive. Much more attractive, I think, too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, different. I was curious about that because I thought, is did she does she look the same? But yeah, no, it's a, it's a very interesting flashback, and I, I want to keep on the Gaius track because we see Gaius making a plea for his people to Lee. Um, and I want to just kind of run this whole Gaius thing through as it. it's all pretty connected, right? I agree. Yeah. So he's making a plea for his people. He wants representation inside of the civilian government for his, quote, people, end quote. I think he's lost his marbles. Ooh, th- why do you say? To think that he's going to get Lee to agree to this. <laughs> it's going to be very challenging to get Lee to accept this because- you have a religion, quote, end quote, that is approximately five, six months old, and you're asking it to be represented, like what, in the quorum? What exactly is he asking for? It is, yeah, I was trying to piece that together a little bit as well, because we see, what is her name again? The, the woman who's kind of the his right hand in his cult. I always forget her goddamn name, Dan. It's not, it, it's something, it's something not like, um, what am I trying to say? It's something not very, um, like it doesn't, when you hear it, you're like, oh, oh, that's her name? Paula. That's, yeah, exactly. Paula. Paula? Yeah, Paula? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Even Gaius is like, Paula? Paula? It's, your name is Paula. I always forget. Paula. <laughs> Paula's always but like, no, to mean, me, Paula's always like an aunt's name. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Right. Well, you know, what I find interesting about this is that it seems like Paula's making the argument Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like Paul is making the argument that they uh, have uh, uh, high numbers that might qualify them to be represented in the quorum and be a political voice because they have really good podcast download numbers. (laughs) I think that's what we're hearing. Because they are trending on iTunes, she thinks they can get some kind of representation. Well, Dean, that's it. It is time for the LSG Media Political Party of America. I demand representation in the Senate. I demand. I demand. We will seat. run against the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. We'll <laughs> never be elected, but we will be angry and loud. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, that's fucking funny, dude. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I'll say this. I actually am, much to Taylor Galloway's chagrin, (laughs) I am on the side here that in this moment, I think Gaius really has changed. And I only say that in the sense that I think he is not pulling forward for for political power because there's not, when you think about it, he's not trying to go for some autocratic position. Like, he's not trying to become president again. He's saying, I want to be a representative for all of these people because they've gathered around me whether I like that or not. Like, they have. Like, this has become this sort of consolidated group of people, um, even though he kind of talks privately <laughs> about them, like, oh, they're a little bit of idiots and weird, and I hate how they fucking adore me, which is interesting. Yeah, because um, he's already run through them. 
I've plowed them all. And they're also bored. All their little, in, all the little, all of their own little idiosyncrasies when they make love. He's got them locked in his mind forever. <laughs> but what what complicates this for me is Head Six's notion of you are going to be the author of humanity's mm. history. She says history, like you're going to be the one who documents what we've done and how we're going forward. It's kind of insane uh, for her to say, because it's the end of the line, basically. That's really, right. yeah, that's really dark to say. And I mean, I kind of, okay, like I, I, I'll admit, I think there's a little bit of, it's a little bit of like a Alex Jones false flag, like a little bit of false flag in there of like, call for Tonkin. Sorry. Black helicopters. Um, but no, I think what she's really kind of saying there is that there's a new beginning. I think this kind of comes back into Hera that like there's a new era ahead where we will be a kind of beyond both humanity and Cylons. Mm. And you are, I think she's saying something to the extent of like you will be the one to kind of document the transition from now to then. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's interesting. Gaius but also the Bard. <laughs> Gaius the Bard, it's all about me. <laughs> But man, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I, I both, I'll say this. I, I do see Gaius as honest here. I don't think he's gunning for some big political positioning for himself because what's to, like, what power, what individual power is there to gain really all that much from being a part of the quorum? Sure. Like, it's not like you have some authority to, to make proclamations and then turn them into law. It's, like, it's, it's not- interesting you're saying this because this reminds me of something I used to tell people when I was younger. Like, when I was, you know, if I got a job, if I got into an organization and I worked my way up in that organization, uh, sometimes I would have these conversations with friends and I'd be like, yeah, I'm not interested in having power over people. I'm just interested in lessening the amount of people have power over me, Right. So sometimes I think about that dynamic and that's sort of like always my default with anything I'm trying to accomplish is, is trying to alleviate the people in positions of powers above me so I can live my life and not somebody else's, you know, I don't want to live somebody else's dream, so to speak, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, and obviously that's crazy and, you know, hard and people have responsibilities and there's nothing wrong with making honest livings. Of course, duh, I come from a fucking blue collar family. I get it. But like, uh, it was always that thing. And I thought about that a lot when I was watching this episode with Gaius, I thought maybe it's just a question of having less people like you don't want to be just so easily scattered to the wind by the powers that be. And that maybe if you are within those powers you are harder to you are harder to control versus you know, i'm looking to control stuff because i think he's pretty much fed up with his followers because i don't think like i think sycophants to him are just so boring yes you, you know like because he even knows God, what they're gonna say data was boring to him and he was just like oh you're adorable you know <laughs> oh you're a good boy yes back when gata <laughs> loved gaius right right but, you know, one thing I think we should bring up that we haven't talked about in a while is really at this point, Gaius is the sole voice or representation of monotheism uh, in the fleet because the rest of the fleet is still pretty much polytheist. They believe in the gods. They believe in the the representations of the, you know, like the 12 signs. Maybe not colonies. the rebel Cylons, though. Yes, not the rebel Cylons. Well, that's the thing. I, I think Gaius is the only human voice advocating for the idea of a single god this is this is um, of course true there's always the jesus parable here right 
Indeed. And and I think that's kind of where I'm like, I get I get Paula's perspective of saying we should have a political voice at this point because we're the only grouping of people who have this this completely different set of religious views that informs their politics. And Which also isn't they, new, so there's that. What's that? It's also not a new religion, so there's that. It is a new religion? No, it's or? not, right? Right, right. But I mean, amongst humanity, it still seems like a pretty new thing. Right, because like, the Cylons kind of introduced it. Right. And, and, you know, we still see a lot of human pushback. What was, was it? The sons of Ares that were, were terrorizing them for a long time. I mean, they're named uh, sons which is of Ares for Christ's sakes. <laughs> right. There you go. The polytheists pushing back against the monotheists. I mean, so there is something to say. Like, I think if this many people, let's say, I, I mean, again, we got to remember the number the sons of, the of Ares. Alive. The sons of Ares are the Romans to guys as Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There you go. Fucking showing up in the garden with Judas and his silver pieces. <laughs> but no, like I think at this point, if you if you say there's even three thousand, three thousand people who who believe in Gaius's idea of a single God, and that's what they subscribe to, and that informs what they believe and what they want to happen politically. Well, out of forty thousand people, which point. is about what we have left right now, that's a pretty sizable chunk. That's of a good people. point. That's a really good point. And, and it's like that's that is a viewpoint that at this point needs to be at least recognized of like, there are this many people out of the total totality of you that have a very specific belief and, and way of life that maybe they do need to be heard. You know what? And I, you've changed my mind. It is not, it, it does make sense when you just based on the math alone, because, because saying, there man. are a lot of them, even if it's just a thousand, it's still a pretty that's big percent. Yeah. It's still a big percentage of people based on how many people are left. Because, dude, I can't even, I, I always think about this. Like, so, you know, where, where I grew up in Clemson, Clemson, South Carolina, uh, the stadium for the Clemson Tigers, the University <laughs> of Clemson's football team, it now, when I was growing up, it only held about 80,000 people and they expanded on it. That's so many fucking people. It's I bigger than pro know. stadiums. That's huge. Dude, it's bigger than the Yankee Stadium. Yeah. That was one of the biggest eye openers for me when I went to Yankee Stadium and finally saw a, uh, a Yankees game. And I asked my my friend's girlfriend who had born and raised in New York and you know has been to tons of Yankee games. I was like, how big is Yankee Stadium? How many people does it hold? And she was like, oh, about like 60, 70,000. And I was like, wait a minute. Like my university stadium in South Carolina holds 80,000 and it holds more than Yankee stadium. What the fuck nowadays with the expansions they've added onto it. I think it holds at maximum capacity, like 120,000. It's fucking. I don't even think it insane. holds that many, dude. What's that? I don't even think it holds that many. It's like 50,000. I, I think Yankee stadium. 15? Yeah. Oh, 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, because I always thought that. I always knew like college college venues were just way bigger. Stupid big. Yep. Um, and having been there at like full capacity where it's just massive roaring crowd. Yeah, it's cool. And to huh? think that chop this down to a third of what it is, and that is everyone who's alive in humanity yeah. in the fleet of BSG. When I think about carve out 3,000 of that, like – it's an interesting visual reference. Do we know that that's the you... number or are we just sort of throwing it out there? Um, last time I saw that there was a count, I feel like it was the previous episode, it was like 39,000 No, 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 that, that I'm certain of, but I meant guys is uh, packed. Pack, I should say. Oh, yeah. No, there's a, I, I wish she, she would say it exactly. There's a scene where Paul is talking to him about the the numbers they have. She does say um, that, yep. She says but they're she dropping say and ours number. is rising. 
I mean, it's it's got to be significant enough to make an impact. So yeah, I think your point still stands, and I am, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, at first I was like, guys, why why would you assume that this would be anything that would ever happen? But when you start throwing out the numbers, it starts to get pretty wild. It's too bad they yeah. couldn't. You know, maybe that's something the show could have done better is really giving us the breadth of his people, like just how many there were. Yeah. Yeah. And hearing like hearing about people subscribing to Gaius's beliefs across the fleet and like calling in and saying, you know, arguing for things that Gaius has been proposing. Sure. Yeah. 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 It could have been could have been a little hammered home better. Could, but I mean Yeah, could have been. Yep. I still think it's an interesting point that the idea and because I mean, as much as Paula can be a shit. I think she has a point here of she does. saying we have this many people who subscribe to your ideas and your beliefs that are that are singular that are different from the political and religious beliefs of the rest of the fleet at least as a whole and that deserves some kind of representation. And I mean like hey if you believe in democracy once you have a certain number of people saying hey we would like some representation well then it's time to give them some representation. Like that's that's what democracy is. So I think there's a valid point here. But that all being said, I also fully see it from Lee's perspective of why the fuck would I trust you? Why why would I believe that you are doing this for that reason? And I like and I think really the biggest show of change in Gaius is Gaius saying, I understand why you don't trust me and walking away from it, sure. not pushing the matter further. Sure. Um that that to be honest is the scene in this episode that made me believe Gaius because all the way up until that moment I was still pretty much on the side of I think Gaius is 65%. Yes, I'm trying to represent the people. And then another like 35% of like, yeah, but I'm also in it for me. And well, sure, shoring up his borders, man. You know? Right. Making right. sure you know, he can't get fucking dropped out. <clears throat> putting some tanks on his fucking risk borders. You know? Like you gotta <laughs> fucking shore it up a little. And I mean, I, I'll admit, I really did think that. But it was that moment when he turns away from Lee and is like, I understand why you don't trust me. And turn and, and that was it. He gave up his argument. Um, and I'm like, okay, I think, I think you, I believe you again. Fuck. Maybe I'm a naive. Maybe I'm a little bitch, but Hey, regardless, the timing it. is perfect because if Lee is sitting at the presidency, we know that Lee makes pretty moral decisions, even when they're uncomfortable. I mean, he was a goddamn pariah for defending Gaius. So indeed. Now, indeed. When it comes to the end of the episode with the whole Gaius line and none of his people volunteer, is that surprising? I mean, he, they were waiting for him, obviously. He doesn't volunteer. True. He stays on the other side of the of the red line. Is that, what does that mean? Does that just mean, we're, I mean, this is Gaius? We're, we, a lot of times you talk about change and all of this stuff, but it why would Gaius, my question is if he is a, if he has now even reluctantly accepted his role as some sort of spiritual leader to this giant movement, which according to Paula is overtaking in, in the numbers game, why would he subject people to some kind of mission like this? Like what use could they possibly be? I mean, when you think about it, I feel like the only, the only thing Gaius or his movement could gain from him volunteering or any of them volunteering is a little bit of recognition in the sense of like, you've risked something for us. Maybe now we're willing to accept you. Right. But um, he didn't see it. But he didn't, same, clearly didn't see it that way enough to do it. Right. Cause I mean, at the same time, I think it's a little bit of like, well, you're not going to accept us. Why should we risk is, is, is kind of how I see 
what informs Gaius's actual decision to not go. Right. And at the end of the day, I know I understand this is really cool and awesome symbolic gesture at the epi- at the end of the episode, but logically, what could they possibly do? Right. I, right. I, I don't know. I guess I guess more bodies is always good if you're. Uh, again, it's who knows. It's tough to say. But unsurprised, yeah. I'm unsurprised that guys did not put himself out there, number one, because he's Gaius. Number two, the rest of his people, because clearly they would have followed. It seemed like it would not have been a prudent choice. You know, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's obvious when you think about it, but it is, you kind of have to say it to see it clearly. Like, there is in the back, you got to imagine in the back of Gaius's mind, if I go, they're all they're going all gonna to go. go. Yep. And I'm like, how many people am I putting on the sacrificial altar by me stepping forward over this line? Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for that. Like that, it really is true. Of if you, I mean, I can't even imagine. It's like, and I'm not trying to compare Gaius at all. To be honest, I'm, I'm really not. But it's kind of like in the you know when you're somebody like Gandhi, where you're like, if I do this, thousands, tens of thousands of people are also going to do this. You gotta, you have to really weigh what you're doing every 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 action you make. If it's going to echo down through that many people's lives, you can't just be like, "Well, I'm going to do it." Fuck it. Like, no, but that 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 kind of decision making goes away when you have that many people who will imitate you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, are they all going to leave the Galactica? Those people is what's going to is God is now their time to shore up their defenses when everyone's out playing fucking hero for Hera. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I mean, they're talking about uh, sending raptors and everything else, so. Getting fucking buck wild. Getting wild. Um, so Rosalind has a good life, huh? Where her whole family dies in a car accident oh, before she gets cancer. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's, what is she trying to take fucking? Uh, <laughs> Battle sad galactic grief. Battle sad Holy galactic grief. shit. What is, what is she trying to do? Take over Tyrrell's chief spot of most miserable existence ever? I'm the saddest of them all. Dude, this is, I mean, hey, surprise, surprise. It's my worst nightmare to be called in by the police to say your entire fucking family's dead. Yeah, but surprise, surprise. God, who knew? Who knew I was Actually, afraid? Actually, my it's not worst stubbing. nightmare is waking up without my penis. But my second worst nightmare. Sorry. Oh, no, it's been sewn to my forehead. Whatever shall I do? <laughs> but no, like, this is... <laughs> I really had this moment of when I was first watching this episode and the police sit down and they start to tell her what happened. I'm like, guys, did you just decide to make the worst possible thing happen yes. to Rod? Like, what the Pregn- fuck? Like, this is baby sister, pregnant sister, family. dad. <laughs> what the fuck? Your father it, it, it goes like and this, both Matt. your sisters. It goes like this. It goes like this. Um, Miss Rosalind, please have a seat. I got some terrible news for you, but um, it appears that your father and your two sisters were killed in an automobile accident. And when we alerted your mother, she was at a family party, which caused three more heart attacks. So now your mother has died. Her sister has died. And her sister's dog died when she fell on the dog. Um <laughs> We understand this is a hard time that you've just lost your mother, your aunt, your dog, your sister, who's pregnant, your other sister, and your dad. But don't worry, you're going to have cancer soon. 
Also, your favorite cashier at your local grocery store heard about the news over text, and they tripped and fell as they were disparagingly reading the text and fell down and cracked their head, and they're dead as well. All of your acquaintances have heard and were distracted and fell down and broke their spines. When you're everyone you know and love is dead. When your when your aunt tried to catch your when your uncle tried to catch your aunt who was falling over or dying in cardiac arrest, he tripped on the barbecue grill and ended up burning down his house, which had with his children locked which, inside. Which you had his, you have no nieces or nephews. Which had his children inside, as well as the contents of a lockbox, which had your father's living will. Uh, sadly, now the house goes into escrow. And um, you're not going to get anything, Laura. Great. Oh, cool. Also, awesome. your favorite breed of dog had a genetic code activation that killed every one of their species across the entire planet. I'm so sorry. You'll <laughs> never see golden doodles ever again. And just as a side note, there have been some rides. Somebody did spray paint your car. We're looking into that. <laughs> so sorry. Your tires have been slashed. <laughs> there is a like, brick through your windshield. Uh, can God... <laughs> dump diarrhea harder on Rosalind's face. Yes, like, yes, because they're going to kill Christ. all, because they're going to destroy 12 planets and everyone else is dead too. But at the end of the day, what's horrible about all this is everyone else's families are dead too now, right? Hooray! <laughs> they all got equalization. This is just a reminder as to where everyone's at now. <laughs> God. <laughs> no, what I like about this is, to me, it, what all this really shows, because we already know that Rosalind... You know, think about if this episode never happened, we didn't see any of the information we get about Rosalind's backstory here. We still very much understand that Rosalind knows loss. She knows her. She understands loss. She has been grief stricken. She has lost people she cares about, lost her position, and been, you know, had so much responsibility thrust upon her out of nowhere, which is unfathomable when you really think about it you're like you go from being like oh i'm kind of a member of the government i have some responsibility to oh i'm kind of directly responsible for all of humanity holy shit uh it's massive but seeing this seeing that she lost her family so suddenly so awfully and so violently it makes me go of course she is able to to overcome grief and able to find purpose again and I mean, we see we see Rosalind receive this news, be destroyed by it, be kind of she kind of sinks into the water of this you know this uh, spring, and <laughs> just sit there and be showered by water because she doesn't know what the fuck else to do. Who can blame her? And then we find her again, still dying of cancer and ready to commit herself to a cause. Yeah. Um, and what I love about that is that for me, it ties together Rosalind and Adama. And I want to, I, I kind of want to pivot over to what happens to Adama in this episode a little bit. Let's do because it. Because I, I think it is very much the biggest scene in this episode when it comes to Adama um, is really the scene when he is, he passes Hot Dog uh, and he's <laughs> passing the memorial wall and he sees the picture of Athena and Hera. Because so many pictures have been removed of, you know, people who, I, if we're abandoning the Galactica, then we're going to take the pictures of our loved ones and our friends and our family with us. Like we're going to, we're going to not just leave these here to be, you know, lost to space. We're going to take them, but there are still tons of pictures up of people who, who aren't remembered anymore. Like that is, I mean, that is a powerfully sad. Cause idea. nobody's there that, to remember him. Exactly. Like that is truly the moment of like permanent death where like nobody who remembers you is alive 
anymore either. Mm-hmm. That they are gone. Like the, your, your memory is a, is an image that nobody understands, and that's terrifying. And Adama kind of walks through that and sees it, and he sees the picture of Adama and Athena. And what I think he really sees when he sees that is they are one picture among a, a whole sea of pictures of people who are so completely gone that there's nothing to do for them anymore. They're, like the best that we can do is see them care and that's it. Um, but when it comes to Athena and especially Hera in the back of Adama's mind, he remembers she could still be alive. Hera could still be alive. And if you're going to send this military ship off to, to be to its end and to be done with it, why not take up the purpose the purpose, that's the word I want to emphasize, the purpose and the calling of doing something for somebody who could still be saved. Yep. Um, and I think that is what drives Adama here. And I think at the end of the day, that's why Adama and Rosalind understand each other because that's what drives Rosalind. Of if there is still a purpose beyond what I have suffered, beyond what I have lost, if I can dedicate myself to a higher purpose for my people, then I'll do it. It's there. The opportunity has arose, and I'll take it. And I think that's what happens with Adama here. He sees that picture and remembers that little girl might still be alive. Like, why am I going to let this ship just kind of float off into its, you know, black grave out into the space? Or am I going to use its final, you know, resources to try and save someone who might still be alive, dedicate it to a purpose? Um, And I think that for Adama and for Rosalind is the... Like it's a call that you can't deny. Amen, brother. Um, and I think that's it's it's fucking excellent. Like it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the, of the it's episode. It's shot so well series. too. It's shot in a way where it's super stoic. He walks over, he looks, he's walking away, he comes back, he snatches the picture. We get a lot of close-ups on his face as we know that he's contemplating this decision to to uh to authorize and lead a rescue mission. And uh yeah, you said it perfectly. It is a moment of saying, well. This is the way it's going to go down. I'm not going to allow this to happen. I'm not going to do nothing. I don't do nothing. I'm fucking Bill Adama. I do something. Right, right. Like, I think he can't live with the idea of, like, there's Standing a chance. Pat. Right. There's a chance. There's a possibility that I could do something, and I just didn't do it. Like, that is, that's something he can't live with. He's and I think a Mexican, a- bro, not a Mexican. Makes a fucking can, baby. Makes a fucking can, not a Mexican. Hard ass Let's go. Oh, we earn their freedom from fucking tyrannical Spain. Fuck that shit. <laughs> um, beautiful. So, what was I going to say? <laughs> the um, and and yes, he he sets that whole thing up, and he wants volunteers only, which I really like because I feel like he's making a decision that is emotional, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And he's not going to commit people to an emotional decision that he's deciding to make. So he's taking volunteers only. And I think that's such a good play. Yes. No, I totally agree. I think it's one of those things where I, I don't want people that I force into this. It's like, if you want to take this risk with me, I want you to be choosing this risk. How badass is Rosalind at the end of this, man? Dude, yeah. she's... Uh, that music thing, man. is killer. That's her theme. I know, you know? people... <laughs> I know people have their issues with Rosalind. I know she can be cold at times. I know she can be, I mean, we saw she's it a great in the last character. episode. That's what it boils down to. Great character. She's a great character. And just, you know, and I, again, and just like, just like Gaius, great character. I don't always agree with Rosalind, but she's great for the show. She's awesome. Totally. And I think this episode in particular really boils down the kind of like 
core of the characters of both Rosalind and of Bill Adama, mm-hmm. that they are people who cannot sit with purposelessness, cannot sit with, if there is possibility, if there is chance that I can contribute to the greater good, then I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not going to give up on that. I mean, we have watched Rosalind give up a lot, give up a lot of her authority, give up a lot of her her position, both to Lee and just to the idea of, like, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm ready to step away from this. And I don't blame her. Like, it's interesting that I both don't blame Rosalind for wanting to step away from it because she's fucking dying. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's totally compromised. Dying. Yeah. And, and it's like, why not spend some of your last days not suffering and simply relaxing to the best that you can and being with people that you love and letting Adama, your lover, read you a good book and just have a fucking nice time and smoke some space weed. I'm like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, I I don't blame you at all. But also fully admire her for being like, no, fuck it. There's something that can be done. So I will lend myself to that purpose. And, 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 and it's and, very symbolic too, because she can't do much other than show that, we can do this if we have the determination, the heart to do it. It is a gesture that that rings true for a lot of people. It's inspirational. Right. Dude, that, to me, that also reminds me of like the power of gesture. Sure. Um, and that, that is something that we don't talk about a lot with the idea of leadership. Like Once you're at that level of leadership where literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are looking to you, even your gestures have a very powerful meaning. Mm-hmm. Like You have to take that into account. Totally. Um, and, and I think Rosalind, maybe even more so than Adama, really understands gesture because she is such, she's been a career political leader and understands the idea of like me putting my foot across a line says a lot um, and that will compel people one way or another. Sure. Yep. Well, I agree. It's cool, man. It's cool. Shit, what else we need to talk about? There's so much in this fucking episode. Well, I mean, those are, those are kind of the more important things I think that we have to discuss but I mean, it's it's probably important that we discuss. Obviously, Hilo getting his opportunity is awesome for him. We do see the chief in the brig, so that answers that question. Yeah, dude, dude, we didn't talk about that last episode. It was a they didn't show him. <clears throat> yeah, no, they didn't. It was a, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it was a clamorous silence that Chief was not in the last episode. Yes. like that was that is the loudest silence I can imagine that he wasn't in the prior episode because his ass was in jail. Yeah. Um, and, and we that's essentially not hear, completely un, that makes sense to me. Right. Oh, it makes total sense. Like, yeah, of course he was in jail. Like he did it. Like, he brained another eight to fucking let loose the terrorist boomer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're going to jail, man. Oops. Sorry. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he has a tough conversation, dude. Again, he's so scorned. He's so scorned, man. How do you blame? How do you blame Tyrrell for feeling like this? Oh, I, and how, oh, I and, don't. And I understand why. And I understand why Agathon feels this way too, because he does feel yeah. Athena, and he has felt genuine love from her for some time. Well, dude, again, Hilo is a. He may very well be my favorite character. I'm not kidding. Like in this moment, I I can't respect Hilo enough for both having the sensitivity with Tyrrell to not push back on him yeah, super course, hard and just course. say, like, look, my wife, Athena, is a person. You're not going to say she's a fucking fax machine. She's a person. I had a child with her. Like, she's a person. And when Tyrrell's like, oh, no, nah, she's a, just a machine because we made them machines. We made them the same. That's what they are. 
it is so gentlemanly of Hilo to just hang up the phone yep. and walk away. Like that is the only polite response you could possibly have. And that's what, again, where I'm just like, Hilo is a fucking gangster. I fucking love Yeah, he's him. great. I think he is he's great. I think Hilo is the most singularly uncompromised, golden-compassed moral person on this show. Lee is probably the next highest of like just not compromising themselves. And I mean, he, I mean, marital affairs just, notwithstanding. Yeah. But I think, I think you're right on the money with Hilo. Hilo's a fucking pimp, yeah. dude. He's <laughs> a fucking king. I love Hilo. Yep. It's, it's interesting because he's so true to his character. I guess they all kind of are though. When you start thinking about it, they don't usually betray their character as established. Um, but Hilo, like Hilo's dude, great. Like, I, my, my, this watch, me for Hilo on this watch is, has been a really pleasurable experience. I'm super high on Hilo, man. Like I, I, well, I just, he's been through so fucking much. Like, and he still is just not a bastard. And I'm like, you've earned the right to be a fucking bastard to everyone. And you're not, you're still just like a solid, good dude who's kind and respectful. And I'm like, fucking hell. Like, it is so impressive to me that he doesn't lash out at either Tyrrell or Athena. Sure. Because Athena has that moment of saying, like looking him in the eyes, and you can't blame her, but she has this moment of being like, she's dead. Cavill's chopped her up into little pieces. Right. And he's all he says is, no, he hasn't. She is alive. There is hope. I'm going to find her. That's it. Yeah, you're, like, you're talking to a, a guy who had to state. hoof it on fucking... You're, you're talking about a guy who had to hoof around Caprica that was a nuclear wasteland. This guy doesn't Sticking quit. himself with anti-radiation medication in the fucking throat. Yeah. Ugh. And if I'm not mistaken, going, hey, Gaius, you can take my seat. Mm-hmm. Take it off that fucking planet. Remember that shit when they were drawing numbers? Yeah, dude. <laughs> fucking brutal. <laughs> the miniseries. Hell yeah. Ugh. So he good. He was a fucking P-I-M-P. Yep, yeah, me rules. No question. Love him. Well, um, Starbuck. Dude, Starbucks. Starbucks and Anders. All right. I feel so fucking bad for Anders, man. Dude. I feel so bad I for do him too. too. And yeah. look, can I tell you something? It's going to sound really corny, but I okay. loved what he said in the tub. Mm, no, me too. You know why I loved I it? I really enjoyed that. Because I love the idea of, it It had such a, a samurai quality to it. Like he, all he cares about is the artistry of the thing. The perfection yes. of the thing. He doesn't care Not about what the thing gains. Correct. Him. But the exactly. discipline of the thing. And that's what's so fucking cool about him. He's been a great character too. Super good character. They they oh, they yeah. sidelined him by shooting him in the head. But like another very morally upstanding character is Anders. Like putting up a Starbuck is no easy task. <laughs> I mean, he put his life on the line for Starbuck multiple times after she's been like, fuck you, I'm fucking Lee. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, and I'm somebody who loves Starbucks. Me too. I've defended Starbucks all day long. And I'm like, damn, bitch. Why you got to be so mean? Right. Why you got to be so mean to Anders? Why you got to be so hard, girl? Mama cracked your knuckles? Like, goddamn, girl. Why you got to be so mean? Keep on that piano, bitch. Make mama proud. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you so much. I'll marry you, but goddamn. <laughs> I'll marry you, but I kind of want to drown you. <laughs> too funny. I'm not going to lie. I don't want to marry anybody that I don't also kind of want to drown. Just a little bit. I need that passion. <laughs> oh, shit. 
It does. Uh, that that passion does great on you over time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But no, it's a oh. uh, I'll tell you, she's uh, she's a fucking wild child, and I like that. I like that she says Adama just saying you're my daughter. Oh, Adama again. P I M P fucking Adama. This guy. You're my, I know who you are. You are my daughter. You know what Fuck. I like about this moment though. It doesn't totally melt her. Yes. This is a changed it's just, you know Starbuck. It it's like it's like he added in that moment, it's like he added a little like buttress to her. There's a there's made. a glimmer. Just like there's a glimmer, but not like do you remember how broken she was when he was like, Get out of my cabin while you still can after she admitted oh, yeah. to him about Zach? That is that's the most broken that Kara has ever appeared on this yeah, show. Because like she, trembling lip. Like she looked like a little kid. It was the first moment. real moment we've ever seen her disappoint that guy. I mean, she had, does it a couple more times as the series progresses, but, yeah. but that moment. And now I think, I, I don't mean to say him saying that doesn't matter to her, but it, but I, but it doesn't, it, 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 it does affect her, but she's changed. Right, it's not like this all-encompassing. Oh my God, amazing! Now I'm in a good mood. It, it, she's it's, still I, deeply I affected by Andrew. It, she's still deeply affected by her own identity as a dead person. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think for her, it confirms it confirms something that she probably already understood that Adama at least has my back. But to hear him say it out loud is one of those moments of like, okay, it's confirmed. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to wonder. I don't have to think. I think Adama's on my side. I think we're okay. Totally. He outright says it. Totally. Yeah. Um, totally. And that's cool. That's a great moment. And I, dude, I thought it was interesting that we don't hear what Adama asks Anders because, boy, we have never. I don't think we've ever seen Adama interact with one of the hybrids. Does he ask him a question? I missed it. it. What's that? Does he ask him a question? Well, he says, "I want to ask him a question." And then when he when when Kara plugs him in and he starts kind of babbling, he's like, "Ugh, you ask him." Yes, <laughs> he's like, yes. "I feel uncomfortable asking him a question." But we don't hear what Kara asks him. We just find out the results that evidently whatever Adama asked him, he speaks something that gives the location of the Cylon colony mm-hmm. that Cavill has taken Hera to. Yes, and that becomes the final thrust of the episode. A perfect face, a perfect place, a perfect world for the end of Kara Thrace and Oline. Creepy, <laughs> creepy. He says lots of things, she says. <laughs> he says lots of stuff. I don't know about that. It's all good. I'm not the I'm not the harbinger of death or anything. It's fine. <laughs> I'll be okay. <laughs> Do you think, just back on guys for a minute. Do you think he was like, yes, when he found out a nuke fucking probably wiped out his old man? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No. I think, I think Gaius is too much of a bitch to admit it but he loves his dad yeah that's I think so why too. it stings him so much that's why it cuts him so deep that's why he gets so upset so angry so teary-eyed so vulnerable it's because he loves his dad yeah. he doesn't know how to fucking deal with him yeah um so i think i think that again to come back to all that that's a very deep dark secret pain that only caprica six knows um, Indeed. and that's why i think he looks at her so intently when it comes down to that moment of like crossing the line because correct me if I'm wrong, Crapper Six does cross the line. She volunteers. She right? does. Yeah. And, and in her Gaius face is not. not pleased with Gaius. 
No, because I mean, again, what, what did we see in the prior episode? She's like, you haven't changed. Yes. You are the fucking Gaius I've always yes. known on, on Caprica. You are the philandering. I'm in it for myself. I'm in it for, you know, fucking bitches. And that's it. That's all he is. Clapping um, hoes. <laughs> clapping on him hoes. Smacking ass balls. Clapping. Well, okay. Buttocks. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Wait, is it too much? All right. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, Steve Jobs' grave. Vampler. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, yeah, outside of the grand, the grand, uh, you know, epic moment at the end. And then we see Zach, same actor, which was cool. The Kara meeting, which was kind of cool. It doesn't, it just lays a little bit of groundwork and we, we you know, it's. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, dude, what is up? I'm not gonna lie. I want to hear your opinion on this. Like the scene of, we see. The, the, uh, the pigeon? Lee, what's that? The pigeon? Yes, yes. Like we see Lee meet Kara uh, and come over to his brother's for the first place time, and hang out with him for the first time. And he obviously is struck and stricken by Kara and like, oh shit, like, Duh. wow, that's a really pretty woman. Holy shit, definitely has feelings for her immediately. Uh, but then we cut to him being extremely drunk back at his own place mm. and chasing a pigeon away. Don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Do you have a f- thought about that? I don't. It's really weird. Yeah, it's it's, really it's got to be something symbolic. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's almost like when I think about, here's my only speculation on it. The pigeon honesty, is Kara. Um, the pigeon is Kara flying away from his love. But like, uh, she never no, like, quite leaves. She's always there. And it's like a nuisance. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I in truth, as corny as it sounds, I think a little bit. Yeah. Like we think about where, where Lee's love interests have led him. He's still on his own. Like he, Kara didn't amount to anything. You know, obviously they still have, they care about each other immensely and love each other, but they're not together. Um, and I mean, shit, we saw what happened with D. D blew her brains out. It's fucking awful. Yeah, terrible. That's right. And and it's and he <laughs> he was the last person she talked to. Other than <laughs> fucking Gata. Very inspirational, Adama. Yeah, of course it was Gata. He whispered in her his dark magic in her ear. I don't have a leg. Kill yourself. You know how he does. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it was such an awful moment of of Lee being alone and chasing something he can't have. I don't know. Mm. Maybe I maybe I'm reaching a little bit too. Maybe I'm a fucking English major in 101, being mm. like that's it's under it's the proletariat. I don't fucking know. But I mean, they, I don't know. But I mean, they shoot it, so they're trying to say something. Trying to say something. Yeah, I don't feel like I have an answer for that though. No, maybe it'll reveal itself in the next two. All right. Well, you got your volunteers, and uh, what's that? I say you got your volunteers, and that's that. Good shit out of Adama. Indeed, indeed. Um, you got the Doc Cottle. We need the doctor. Stay here, dude. <laughs> I love yeah, Doc Cottle. You know, volunteers. He's like, well, no, 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 nobody can do fucking brain surgery. Please go back. Were you pumped about the little round table at the end? All the, all the band back together planning. Did you catch that? Tyrrell was out of jail for this. Yeah. Tyrrell out of jail. Dude, he let everybody out of jail. Even the mutineers. Did you catch that? Yeah. Let them go. He was like, even the people who mutinied, let them go. They're, they're essentially acknowledging that their frustration was, uh, kind of warranted. Yeah. I find it really interesting. Sort of. He's like, there's two episodes left. Get the fuck out of the brig, dude. <laughs> Come on out. I need fucking guns and hands. He's also like, I'm decommissioning this bird. Get him out. I don't want to just send them all to their deaths. <laughs> That's fair. 
<laughs> oh, the guys in the brig. Shit, how did you let him go? No, I didn't let him go, oh, Bill. God, shit. I didn't do it, Bill. I uh, left him in there. Uh, Airlock them all, Bill. Uh, Bill, I... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Want to talk about some listener comments? Let's fucking do it. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> all right, I got one uh, from Mr. Michael Claudio. I'm going to cut into it a little bit. Uh, he said... What I think truly compels the Adama to talk over uh, to talk to Anders is all of the pictures that are left on the wall. People who have been forgotten. No one knows who they are or where they are from. And then he sees Hera, a child who was taken under his command. Mm-hmm. I think that compels him to talk to Anders. And since he has the position he has, we are going to fucking do this. I also love the scene of Starbuck holding up Rosalind as the weakest person health-wise. Totally. Is going on a mission for this child, and there are those healthier that are staying behind. Great way to start this three-part finale. Beautiful. It's good shit, man. Yes, sir. You have any comments? Yeah. T-Dog. All right, let's get to work. And he has the Admiral Adama quote. Seeing Baltar struggle with the decision whether to move to the starboard side of the ship and effect declaring to join the search for Hera was tough to watch. You can tell that he wants to be part of the rescue mission, however he's unable to move. As he looks at Caprica 6, it's apparent that he wants to prove to her that he has indeed changed, but he's unable to overcome his cowardice. I guess Lee will have to wait a little longer for guys to perform a truly selfless act. Great way to say it, T-Dog. And he also says, Talk Coddle is the man! Based on the conversation yeah. with Hilo, Galen is back to Cylon-hating self. I guess that means he hates himself. Yes, I think he is a complex <laughs> man. He's full of anger and rage. We know this. As he did Dude. beat Callie's face in once. T-Dog also asked me a question. He said, Matthew, will Tyrrell find some sense of inner peace by the end <laughs> of the series? That's a fucking great question, T-Dog. Um, and I'm not going to lie, man. This episode makes me go... I don't think so. Like, I don't think so. When we really think about where Tyrrell has been, he has always been the least comfortable of the final five sure. uh, with his position and what that means. And damn, with with his belief, I mean, like, we got to think about it. He's one of the final five. He helped create all of the other 12 models of Cylons. And he's going, fuck the 12 models. Like, I think they're all fucking useless robot toasters who are all the same. I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to come back from that position, dog. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, shit. Uh, I mean, fucking Hilo as a human being is like, I see their humanity more than you do as a fellow Cylon. Right. So where are we going to go from here? (sighs) I don't know, man. I think, honestly, from this episode, I think Tyrrell might end up being the most tragic character of the series, where I always thought it was going to be fucking Hilo with how much he's suffered. I don't know if there's any coming back from that position. It's mm. fucking rough. It's rough, man. It's rough. Also, I wanted to read one from the the prior episode, actually. Heller Landecker left a really great comment after we recorded our prior episode, and I want to read it right now. Please do. Yeah, um, I, I know you had mention of that. Yeah, she said, I'm late to the party, but I just listened to the podcast episode of our prior episode. Really agree with Dean's comments about Boomer's rage as a defining feature of her actions in that episode. Mm. You may be unlicensed therapist, we absolutely are, or whatever you said, but I think you both are right about her motivations. Uh, and this, I think this speaks to Boomer in this episode as well. Uh, I think you both are right about her motivations. I would only add that I think part of what tortures Boomer is her deep, powerful self-hatred. She made her choice, Indeed. but she despises herself for it. She tried to kill the old man. 
She betrayed Tyrrell. She abandoned the friends, identity, job, the very life she, at one time, loved and made a commitment to. I think she is so deeply conflicted about her choices that her sleeping with Hilo is part of her rage at Sharon for having the life that Boomer renounced and part of the rage at herself. Yeah. She literally fracks herself over when she sleeps with Hilo. Seems to me if you can't punish yourself enough, the next best thing is to punish your clone, <laughs> which watch how much it hurts and cement your rage of yourself to her, to Hilo and to yourself as the scum you feel like you are. Maybe this was said and I missed it. It wasn't. We didn't say that. But there's my two cents. And I'm a licensed therapist for what it's worth. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And she listens to the podcast. Ooh. We are in big Whoa. trouble. Wow, we're way off. We're, we're emotional messes. I'm Oof. so sorry. Can't wait to get my profile back from Hello Landecker. <laughs> what a name, by the way. That's a fucking awesome name. Thank you for the post. Thank you for your insight. Um, I really appreciate it. That's good shit. Thank you, Heller. I think that that is a really yeah, great point. We don't see a... Yeah, and we don't see a lot of Boomer in this episode, but the the one time we see her when Cavill is talking, we didn't talk about this, like when Cavill's saying, this girl, Hera, is a, a half-human, half-Cylon abomination that somehow holds the key for our continued existence within her genetic code. Like, So we find out like the, he has no respect for her as a, a person, as an entity. He's just like, she has what we need mathematically in her genetics for us to keep going. Right. Like, I don't fucking give a shit about her. Cut her fucking head off. Like, let's figure out her DNA, apply it how we need it, whatever. Uh, and Boomer's the one arguing, essentially, for her personhood. Yes. Like, that's a child. That's a person. Like, we can't treat them this way. And I, I think Heller makes a great point of saying that she hates herself in a lot of ways for being involved with the conspiracy of not only taking Hera, but committing acts of war against Adama, against the fleet, against all these people who... She still wants that life with. She still wants the security and the 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 love and the respect of all those people, but she's gone against it, and there's no taking it back. Um, and we still see her kind of trying to walk it back a little bit in this episode. And I, I dude, I, I'm sorry. I find Boomer and all of the eight models one of the most compelling aspects of, of Battlestar Galactica. I think. I think. And I think it's helped by Grace Parks being a very good actor. It's true, and and, um, it's, and they did they did they were a little hands off for a while as they developed other storylines, but they've come back to it in a big way. Yeah, yeah, no, and I remember we talked about that a lot in season one and season two. Like Boomer was one of the most fascinating because she was unique. She was a sleeper, so unique, so unique. It made us question the the nature of Cylons for and sure, what they even are. And uh, to be honest, it's one of my few. Not a big one, but it's one of my few knocks against the show that I'm like, why did we slide away from her? Like, Boomer is, is a fascinating character, and the whole eight model is such an interesting aspect of the show that I'm like, I, I wanted her to be a little more focused on. But I'm glad, I, like you said, I'm glad we're coming back to her. I'm glad we're refocusing. Like I said, probably just to develop other through lines, you know? Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. Great Spark's great. I'm glad to see her. Yep. So, um, what else was I going to say? The um, um, the self hatred thing is really powerful, and what I love yeah. about the idea of that is, boy, did you make these machines pretty well? If you're trying yeah. to infiltrate humanity and you've made them with the ability to hate themselves, then you have made the best program ever. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> like, nothing has nailed humanity better than ah, the ability to hate itself. Yeah. It's human. Is this a 90s model? It could be. It could also be a fucking 2010 model, too. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be here today. That's it. 
There you go, baby. Oh, man. Good <laughs> shit. As human as it gets. Daybreak one is in the books. We are now ticking down. Chick chunk. The clock. Chick chunk. Down. 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 That's fucking crazy, man. Crazy. That's fucking crazy. Crazy, right? Yikes. Well, Whew. that's amazing. That's it, brother. We are out of here. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for the comments, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. Very good. Thank you for following along for the ride. We're we're almost there, everybody. Hold hands. Hold hands to walk brothers and sisters into the apocalypse. That's right. Battlestar Galactica. As we crash into the sun together. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Get our baby Hera back. Yep. All right. Well, thank you guys uh, for the comments, the participation. Thank you, Miss Miss Master Anderson. I guess I'll just go say that since I'm fucking up, Mister. I'm trying to say Matthew and Mister, so Master is what it will be. (laughs) Master Anderson, thank you for your time, and um, we're gonna get out of here, and we will see you guys in a week's time with Daybreak Part Two, the Christmas Eve of the finale. Oh, yikes! All right, guys, have a wonderful day. We will catch you guys on the flip side. But before that, Matthew is going to tell you all goodbye. Fare well. Follow my cult into the fires of the sun, I suppose. But I probably won't be there. Yeah. You can burn alone. I'll be over here in the comfort of my beautiful limousine. (laughs) 